bronche, bronche. That's how we say brunch. Here's to the ladies who say music with their lunch. Who on that bochinche? Paquete con pinche. You know what they said? Got super glasses thinking. Aquí en esta mesa se respeta como ñón. Si la copa está llena, yo te doy la bendición. So what if we get batches? We from the Bronx. That's it. Don't get it twisted. We be going to Manhattan. Be a queen. Be a boss. Ladies who brunch are popping off. Hey, we pop, pop, and pop it off. We, we pop, pop, All pop right. The episode about to start. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Bronche. I am Julissa. What's good, everybody? This is Skittles. And this week, we have una paisa with us. Zulai, who the fuck are you? Uh, <laughs> um, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, who am I? a really existential question. <laughs> um, well, uh, I am a co-founder of a organization called Medley. Um, nice. And effectively what we are, what we do is we function as a cannabis club in New York City uh, where we uh, seek to sort of shape the contours for what uh, cannabis consumption or the culture of consumption will look like in New York once legalization takes place whether on the state level or on the federal level. Mm. Um, everyone is assuming that something's going to give this year, mm. uh, whether at the state level uh, through the next budgetary uh, process or uh, some crazy like electoral move right. uh, by, by the dawn. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so um, a part of what the Cannabis Club does is we try to provide um, primarily women and queer folks access to information and quality Medicine, mm. um, because there is a disjuncture for um, the specific kinds of access to cannabis that people can have. Um, and it's also um, one of those, I like to think, potentially, not like to think, but uh, potentially one of the last growth industries before collapse. So mm. um, my partner and I have been trying to build out a team for the past few years um, and really uh, cultivate some of the people on our teams and, and the things that they're doing and some of the projects that they're doing that on the side have to do with cannabis, but their projects are, are much larger in scope uh, and the things that they're doing. Some of them are filmmakers. Some people are yoga instructors. Nice. Um, other, other people are in grad school doing their law thing, things yeah. like that. Um, so we really just try to be a platform um, to help the people that are under us Absolutely. Um, do what they do through cannabis. That's awesome. And I, I mean, it's definitely a conversation that's been on the forefront of my mind, especially around this idea of uh, decriminalization and what happens to the folks who are currently serving time for, you know, weed related crimes. Um, and, and I am feeling hopeful, you know, despite the fact that things are really fucked up, I'm feeling hopeful that the, the movements of certain states thus far, um, restoring certain rights to folks who have been formerly incarcerated, um, you know, I hope that that continues to gain momentum and uh, I haven't I don't have a democratic pick yet as, as to who I am 100% backing at this point and this whole Iowa caucus thing was so crazy and yeah it was a mess it was a mess it was a very very hot mess <laughs> which just kind of like made me delay a little bit more even in that decision making but like I am excited to see like whoever does end up in the forefront I know Bernie has sort of said that within his first 100 days he wants to uh, legalize it throughout all 50 states um, I know some of these things sound exciting exciting but I'm always trying to educate myself as to like what that will actually mean because it yeah. sounds good like sort of in theory like yeah fuck yeah you yeah. know but like how are we actually preparing so that there is a quality and equity in in this new sort of age of uh, you know this market yeah. so mm-hmm. really awesome to have you in the space yeah, thanks. thanks for the work you do thanks. yeah so Sulai first thing we want to ask is when you go out to brunch with your friends what is your choice drink that you're going to be drinking oh your bronche um, bebida. Well, when I used to drink, <laughs> <laughs> it was always um, uh, a Belgian, Belgian style beer. Mm. So, okay. uh, you know, Duvel. Nice. A nice uh, Delirium. You know that? Brand? I do know Delirium. That's the one with the elephant, right? Yeah. Yes. Those, yes, yes. Those beers are no joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you probably shouldn't be drinking them at brunch time, but that's what I would drink. Um, 
right but now it's either like kombucha or a nice seltzer yeah which is what we're drinking 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 some seltzer and kombucha and kombucha um which i i swear i'm gonna get into one day eventually i feel like the universe (laughs) is calling us to i feel like the universe is calling us to so so i've heard so you need to be weaned (laughs) actually on the episode that the last episode that we had somebody drinking kombucha she spiked it it. Mm -hmm. so (laughs) yeah so when you do go out to brunch with your friends what is your choice plate oh um there's um what's the the i haven't gone to brunch in so long (laughs) the ones with the two eggs eggs benedict that shit yeah yes (laughs) that shit yeah uh before i gave up meat and dairy Uh. (laughs) and and things but you know i'd probably go with like a really bougie bougie avocado toast yeah (laughs) um we were actually talking about, ironically, again, some avocado toast the other day. Like, you can, like, the price of one avocado toast can buy you, like, avocado toast for a week or longer. Yeah, oh my like, God. it's kind of <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And also, just like this idea that I remember when I was younger, my mom would be like, oh, there's food in the house. You can eat avocado and bread. I would look at her like, are you fucking crazy? Let's go to McDonald's right now. What I are just you talking like, about? <laughs> I don't know when avocado toast started being a thing that restaurants did. It's like the greatest scam that the New York yeah. restaurant industry as ever yeah like pulled on us right (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and and so what was it like going out to eat when you were a kid uh hmm so i grew up in queens um best food capital yeah really great food (laughs) uh, with with immigrant parents so we didn't have an opportunity to go out to eat a lot but when we did um it was always a latin restaurant Mm-hmm. Which in Queens you can find literally every every country represented on one like a two block radius right. mm-hmm. on Roosevelt Avenue, um, and God, it's, I don't know if it's like stereotypical, but you know you had like the patriarchal father and he would like mm-hmm. order for everybody and mm-hmm. it would be like this whole oh, mess of a meal and it'd be like five pounds of chicken and like <laughs> <laughs> the parrilla with like all the parts of the cow and, yeah. and like. 10 pounds of rice and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. That um, sounds amazing. <laughs> My fat ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we used to eat really good. And then um, as I got older, I, like, started I, – I, like, try to be vegan now. So I mm-hmm. always look for, like, the nearest pho spot or the nearest mm-hmm. falafel joint. Yes. Or whatever. It's not really eating out. I, like <laughs> I, I mm. do, like – it's not fast food anymore, but – yeah, but, yeah. But eating out, and it's so funny because, like, to me, going vegan, it's less about oh, the food's not tasty. I mean, it's like raw, clean foods. It's of course it's tasty, but it's the matter of like, do I have time to cook it, or am I eating out? And then if mm. I'm eating out, yeah. what are my options really? Especially if I'm trying to ball on a budget and not yeah. just like splurge on these bougie oh, yeah. vegan yeah. brands. If you mm-hmm. if you eat out on a budget and try to do the vegan thing in New York. You go to like the same five spots in New York. All the vegans know each other. We're always trying to eat together. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's pretty chill. That's awesome. And so, what is your favorite bochincha topic to talk about over a meal? My friends. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, as Latinos, we have like, like cheesemas in our blood. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it used to be used to be politics. It depends on who I'm with. If it's right. my mother, we're usually talking about her friends. Mm. Uh, um, if it's my friends, we're usually talking about politics. Nice. Um, yeah, I th- I've like recognized that we're like chismosos, and I try <laughs> to like not be that way. Yeah. Um, because I feel like it's kind of toxic sometimes. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, like, bochinche, like, there's, like, the innocent bochinche where it's just, like, commentary and it's not, like, really going to hurt anyone's feelings or anything like that. And then there's, like, the deep, like, people are chismeando and then plotting on, like, how they're going to influence a situation and it becomes this, like, war table. Yeah. You know, everybody's, like, figuring out how they're going to, like, band together to do something. What about you guys? Ooh. Uh, we always talk about sex. Yeah, and we boys. like to talk about oh, yeah, sex. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> that's our, that's our <laughs> go-to. You know, because like when everything is said and done, like 
you know, if you're getting fucked well, that that's always like a great silver lining in life. And it's just like, <laughs> no, but I'm having really fucking great sex. And then it's like, good for you. I know all these stuff, <laughs> but you are getting fucked well. And that yeah. is that I is a big like win. I feel like such a scrooge sometimes. Maybe it's just I'm always working all the time and everyone around me is always just like, in love or heartbroken or whatever. Uh-huh. Just fucking like, like rabbits. I'm like, I'm like, oh, fuck, man. Is sex really like the most profound thing that we're capable of doing right now? It's kind of like, mm. fuck, yeah, it's great, but it's also easy. Mm. easy. Okay. Yeah. And not that exciting for that reason. I don't know. Oh, interesting. See, like for me, I think like a lot of my <laughs> Clearly sex... I'm not having sex right no. now. <laughs> <laughs> me like it has been that way <laughs> with certain partners but when you get a partner that like there's an actual connection with and it's no longer just about like all right well I'm here so I better get my rocks off it's and it's about like you're in a moment and that moment ensues your hormones and you get excited by the actual engagement of this person and that leads to sex like that is some awesome fucking sex if I'm just hitting you up on tinder and I'm like all right all right uh, get it over with just eat my pussy bye like that for sure is not satisfying and it's almost like out of habit then that you start fucking and making sure mm-hmm. and then so totally I think it's a bit of both it can absolutely be yeah. that way yeah <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> Tinder. <No>. Tinder. <laughs> do you use dating apps at all? Uh, I do not. Yeah. I've been told that I really should. Um, it just doesn't seem like there's any other way to do it anymore. It like, sucks. supposed to meet people? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm definitely not a fan of, of, of the, the, I was going to say the social media. Well, I guess it is kind of social it's media. It's kind of like social media. But it's just yeah. difficult because it's almost like there's a plague or a moment. Like, do you remember when, like, MySpace was out and Facebook was out, but Facebook still wasn't the shit. And then eventually Facebook like blew yeah. up and people forgot about MySpace. I feel and then MySpace became like a really lame platform. I feel Do like you still have access to that? I think we don't anymore. Um I just think it's so funny because when like the whole idea of like uh dating websites and apps and stuff came out i was so against it because i felt like it was a way of like giving up on the idea mm-hmm. that like you're actually gonna meet someone in person mm-hmm. yeah and now it's just become such a part of the dating scene and part of the dating community especially with like grinder and all these like gay dating apps that we have right <laughs> right and so i like when myspace died out um, and Facebook became the thing, like there was a certain stigma to MySpace. And so I feel like with the dating apps, like Tinder wasn't always full blown just about sex. Like there were people who were on there and were actually like trying to go on a proper date and stuff like that. And then it just like, I don't know what happened. Other apps started coming out that like marketed were marketed themselves. I can't speak today as, as more like, Oh, this is for the people who are like anti apps. This is an app for you. Like, and, and then like, as that continued changing, like now it's hard to find the app that's actually the app that's for dating and not just getting fucked because that's what it's all about. Yeah. So it is very even as being as bold as like being on the train and seeing an ad that says the app that's meant to be deleted. Yeah. Like um hinge. Hinge. Yeah. No, I haven't used it. I'm I'm a strictly grinder girl. <laughs> but um yeah. You know your demographic. <laughs> <laughs> Good to go. I know my demographic, I do. <laughs> but yeah, sex is uh, always fun to talk about during brunch. Right, so now we're moving into our cheers to the ladies who section where we shout out uh, dope shit and people doing dope shit. So you gave us a little light on this film, Disclosure. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the film? Um, Disclosure is a documentary film. I think it's making the rounds in some film festival. Sundance, I think. Sundance, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, um, it's produced by Laverne Cox, executive produced by Laverne Cox, and... Uh, what the documentary basically tries to do is it's it's a project in um, revisionist history, but in a positive way, um, where they try to trace back uh, historical representations of trans bodies and characters from the past in positive and negative ways, and um, you know tying the thread from the past all the way mm. to now, because um, in in uh, the dominant national narrative, a lot of people um, are only being exposed to the idea of transness um, 
as a very new phenomenon. Mm. Um, and a part of what this documentary purports to do is um, to show that that's, that's just not the case. Right. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, that's that's incredible. probably something that I'm going to be seeing at some point when yeah. it's available to me. And it says here, so it's directed by Sam Feeder. Um, and it's interesting because so it's, they have um, different, like, uh, trans stakeholders in the film who are commenting on, you know, just, like, navigating through Hollywood and some of the ways in which the representation is good and then some of the ways in which the representation is problematic. And it's so interesting because as someone who, who uh, tr- tries to be an ally in all the ways possible, I've sort of had to come to terms with the fact that there's a lot of education I don't have around the trans community in terms of, like, the history behind it um like certainly i don't think it's a new phenomenon not 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 that silly but just in the sense of like i don't like what what has been the history of this community outside of like you know marsha p johnson like just some of the names and like talking about stonewall but like what is the bigger community and i i watched season one of pose and like that was a little taste but even in watching that i'm like you know and that's just a nugget of like a bigger history and in a specific you know community in, in New York, but like what what was going on everywhere else? And I think that it's so important mm. that films like these are being made, not just for people like me to get educated, but also you know for for people who are, are trans and like want need to see that representation and need to have something to connect to, um, because no one else is giving that education anywhere else. Yeah. So. yeah, I I think that especially with like speaking to Pose and having it come out, I actually had a conversation with my mom one day, and I was like. I want you to watch this because you are someone who lived through this and like I know nothing about any of this. Like the I find I find that lived the people what? that like lived through this time where where it was the height of like um you know the voguing scene in in, in New York oh, and like epidemic. the trans and AIDS yeah. epidemic and all this stuff and the LGBT community and all this shit. Yeah. They lived through it and they knew people and they like they they actually live through this time, but nobody talks about it, and nobody like is actually stepping forward to educate on it. And like, um, I think it's crazy that like as a twenty eight year old man, I have to look to like an FX show or actually like really try and do my homework to gain access to this right history. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I think another thing that we we were saying before we were recording is that. Um, one of the things that they're trying to push back against is the familiar trope of, right. again, disclosure, the idea that um, trans people are obligated to disclose mm-hmm. um, the, the state of their physical genitals um, uh, right <laughs> off the bat when they're meeting someone. Right. Um, and it, like flies in the face from the idea that like everybody has information that they don't necessarily need everybody knowing. Right. Yeah. Right. This really um also brings to brings to mind the whole Nikki Tutorial situation that just went on where oh, Nikki Tutorials yes. is like this huge makeup artist who has been around for a decade making content. Like you're talking about this woman has created a career solely based off of her talent and because of one person having to like Threatened to out threatened her. Threatened to out her. Yeah. That's why she ended up coming out as trans and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's really like, I'm just like, fuck. Like, when, when did we become so sinvergüenza? Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, when, when did we become so entitled to other people's personal information is really beyond me. Like, and even in, we, and we had this debate uh, two seasons ago, actually. We had a guest, and it was a sort of off-camera, off-air you know, debate about him feeling like, yeah, it's, like a, it's almost like a lack of respect to me if you can't be honest to me about what you really mm-hmm. are. And it's just like, no, you're, what you're missing is that what you really, what I really am is what you're getting. Like, that is who I really am. And so I don't actually owe you, again, disclosure. I don't owe you that disclosure. And he felt very strongly about it. And like, and it's interesting because even in hearing him talk about it, it was like almost, uh, it was so aggressive. Like, mm-hmm. in a way where, and, and even, in, and I'm just like, wow, and I'm just talking about it and you're aggressive. I can't imagine the fear that trans people feel when they are engaging with someone and then that person sort of starts to turn on them and like ensue that aggression towards them. Yeah. And, there's also the double-edged sort of uh, the stigma that comes that's leveraged at people who are attracted to trans right. people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, there's yes. there's uh, a lot of the time some anxiety around social suicide. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that's another part of the issue around the work of normalizing 
um, or some people might call, call it assimilation. Right. Um, there are good and bad things about it, for sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think tackling some of the fear and sensationalism around it is part of the positive yeah. part of that work. Absolutely. But I'm really glad that this is a narrative that is controlled by the, it's for the community, by the, by community, the community, and not just somebody being like, oh, big money opportunity. Let's talk about trans lives, which yeah. often happens sometimes when we're, when we're learning about narratives is the narrative's not being told from the actual community. Um, so I'm really happy to see that. Yeah, it looks like they had a real production budget too. So. Yeah, yeah, it does. No, for real, for real, it so does. Uh, so yeah, cheers to that. Oh, can I have some? Okay. All right, and now we're moving to our tuta loca es, where we call motherfuckers out for doing the most. Okay, breaking news: Trump <laughs> was acquitted. I just, you know. I thought OJ was the biggest acquittal of all time. <laughs> but I think this, no pun intended, trumps it for real. Like, oh my God. What are, what are you guys thinking? I mean, first of all, I'll admit I was not following that trial like day by day and detail by detail because I do not have the time for that shit um, um, or the emotional capacity for it. But just, I knew it was going to end this way and I'm still tight. Ugh, I'm just ready uh, for it to be over. I'm not. Surprised. I just want it to be over. <laughs> like I'm over Trump and yeah. everything. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I. I don't know what to say. It's just. Um. I did watch some of the the hearings, um, on C-SPAN. They were really long and really boring. Yeah. Um. Yep. But. Um. I don't know if you guys have ever been to court or sat through a trial and like watched the way lawyers make arguments um it was it was it was a interesting study in like performativity if Hmm. you will so like Hmm. (laughs) and it just made me worried about what people were actually like processing when they were watching this because even though uh the Democratic side had a strong case. Um, they weren't allowed to bring any witnesses. Very strong case. They, they made that clear <laughs> that, that, that was the case. Um, Trump's lawyers just came in with a bunch of bravado and finger pointing, and um, I'm not sure that that's what got him acquitted. Like, right? You know, it was the vote went down party lines. Yeah. Um, there's just not much you can do about gridlock in the House. Right. Um, Mitt Romney. Yeah, fuck, fuck that guy. I mean, I don't yeah. know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> Mitt Romney uh, actually voted against him, and that was like a big deal. It was literally, I was on the train, I saw the headline, and it was like like 20-something minutes ago, and it's like, Mitt Romney, you know, says he'll vote against Trump. And then, like, I'm scrolling down, but, like, I guess however many minutes forward from that, it was like, Trump acquitted. And I was like, oh, okay, so that didn't really... Because I got excited for a hot second. I was like, oh, shit, is there a bunch of these motherfuckers who've been plotting and they've just been waiting until today to be like, boop, guilty motherfucker. No, Uh, no. I mean, I'm not sure what the significance of it is, but it certainly probably is significant that he broke with party lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just sort of like, first of all, and like, it's interesting how like someone like Mitt Romney, who I don't consider to be uh, a great person or politician... No, I remember during... When he was running for president, there was there was a scandal of a story about a dog, and that's what turned me off of him. Mm, there was I a story about him road tripping with his family, and he put his dog in a crate on top of his car. Oh, what? what the road fuck? cross country. Jesus. With the dog in the crate. That motherfucker. See, I just like oh my God, the things that, that are baby. telling about people. You think it's you just judge people by what they say. It's shit like that that lets you really know. Yo. Right. Yo. Exactly. You're just like, like and what like, logic? Yeah. Where I mean, it's it's wild what what fucking skeletons they come up with during campaign season. Literally, like it is even even like going back to when. Uh, Can't wait to hear about like Bernie's prostitute rings well, or like you, well, whatever. Well, Elizabeth, what I was going to say is when Elizabeth Warren said that, accused him of saying that he said that a woman couldn't uh, run for president because she wouldn't win. Um, and then he was like, hey, like you actually, that was completely taken out of context. And like, you know, here's all the work I did. Like, you know, after I lost to Hillary, here's how many fucking campaigns and rallies I went to to support her. You know, I, I encouraged Ooh, you Romney? to run. No, no, no. Uh, Bernie Sanders. Oh, Bernie. <laughs> 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 Bernie Sanders. But, you know, like sort of defending himself because 
that that I guess has been so far the Bernie scandal is this idea that um, he didn't believe that a woman could could run for president and win. And he's like, but how if all my actions are saying the opposite of that? Why would I support and encourage you, Elizabeth? He's like, even back then, I encouraged you to run. Like at mm-hmm. that time, why would I say yeah. that? And then that's that's sort of the danger of the way information um, moves now. Yeah. Yeah. At the rate of cheese mm-hmm. um, At the rate of cheese yeah. even even and this is like and it's I feel like such an old person now. Like my my opinions are changing around this. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how an election is executed. Yeah, and nobody trusts the technology using. Mm-hmm. Using, I mean, <laughs> used to count the votes. One of uh, and, and that the the company that was used to that that those electronics, um, Pete, uh, I forget his last name, but the, he's the one who funds that company. So somebody who's getting votes counted for him is funding the company that's counting the votes. Mm-mm. Mayor Pete. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so apparently there was a count that came out, and I think it had Bernie at 24% and Pete somewhere, I think, around 21. And then they like were doing another recount, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, Pete actually is ahead of, of Bernie. Yeah. Yeah, and and then somebody did a, a ratio of like okay the non-white votes so like in the, in amongst the Iowa caucus numbers the people who voted um, you know people of color forty percent for Bernie Sanders and then everybody else sort of trailed off in the back so okay. it's just really interesting. Um, you think so th- how do do black people like Bernie? You know, I, I think it depends who you ask. I don't dislike Bernie. I, I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like Joe. like, Julissa, on behalf of black people. Right, on behalf of all <laughs> black people in America. Bernie. I really feel that, that people are sort of split. Um, there are some people who, like Sean King, for example, who a lot of you know black folks follow um, for politics. Like, he's a huge Bernie Sanders A lot supporter. of people don't like and then, and, uh, yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm very well aware, right? But this is what I'm saying. So I'm like, there's, there's like, you know, folks like, like Sean King, who are like adamant about Bernie Sanders, and then there's a lot of black folks who are adamant about Elizabeth Warren, you know, and and a lot of black women who are like, this is this is the direction we want to go, and I just don't know, and I'll be honest about my lack of tracking and watching debates because it's also overwhelming. I think I used to enjoy in, like indulging politics in that way, but because the stakes are so high at this point, those things watching those things gives me anxiety. But like, <laughs> also, have you watched like the way the production? Yeah, oh, it's of just, the it, debates it, it, in, it in, like in this country. It's it's oh, it hurts my eyes. Yeah. So I, I so I say that to say like I haven't dug up like who's you know like has the biggest platform for communities of color. From what I have heard though, when I do speak to people, it sounds like the one person who is really focusing their efforts on um, the rights of people of color seems to be Bernie Sanders. So I always hear his name come up in that in that gambit. Um, so I but I just really my distrust and I think the Iowa caucus proved this my distrust in um, you know sort of indulging in like really riding hard for a candidate at this point it is it feels like wasted energy because either you know the people will speak and will be heard and the right person will get put forth or the DNC is just going to put forth whoever they want anyway kind of like what they did with Hillary Clinton. So yeah. I'm just kind of like, all right, let's see who the Democrat is because I know I'm not voting for Trump already. So all right, let's get this shit over with. Yeah. And like, then let's keep it moving. And quite frankly, like Andrew Yang, I think, has been really underrated. And the more I learn about him, I don't know if I feel ready for him to be president. But like seeing dudes like him, I'm like, oh, the next time around, I need more like honest like people on the ground. Yeah, running. I mean, Andrew Yang is West Coast Chinese. Yeah. Um, but a lot of his ideas... Um, I think are one of the more forward-looking ones. Yeah. Um, Bernie's platform speaks a lot to like the immigrant communities, and that yeah. means a lot to me. Um, right. But um, yeah, Andrew Yang's UBI platform, I think, even though it's not catering to specific demographics, might do a lot more than a lot of other platforms. Yeah, I think it. I this think is it's, not an endorsement for yeah, Andrew yeah, yeah. Yang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was gonna say, and even my <laughs> thing isn't an endorsement. I'm just, but I am. Just interested to see. I would have been interested to see, given the DNC not putting so many. I mean, even for the caucuses, there were people who dropped out because of certain rules, and then here comes Mayor Bloomberg. Is like, boom, I want to participate, and now all these rules get dropped. He's dropped you almost know? a trillion dollars on this, and I haven't seen anything. From I saw I one ad during the Super Bowl against Trump. One ad, and I was it a Bloomberg ad? Yeah. Oh. And I was just like, oh great. Of course he can afford a fucking spot on the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like. 
fuck you. It's really, I'm very passionate about it. I just really, like I said, want to see who's going to be out in the front uh, for the Democratic Party so that we can really, like, pin that person and be like, listen, motherfucker, this is what we need to do as a party yeah. right now. I don't have time for any bullshit. We can't fuck around. We need to fucking win this election. It's going to be an interesting... Um, year yeah yeah get ready guys i'm just gonna throw in my that's crazy (laughs) because y'all lost me (laughs) i mean honestly like who who really knows anymore like even the information we think we know we don't know so it's chaotic All right, and now it's time for our plate of the day. So, Going Green, a conversation around the generational relationship with weed in black and brown communities. Um, It's a huge thing. Um, I will say off the bat, in my family, weed is a big no-no. Same. Very anti-marijuana. I'm not going to shout out people. There are people in the family who do indulge. I I will shout myself out because, okay, (laughs) mommy, you already know. It's fine. Like, I do use uh, marijuana. Marijuana, <laughs> and it is very controversial. It is like literally so such so shameful that they don't talk about it. Like it's mm. almost like they will like give me a stare. Actually, when, at the Super Bowl, like I saw my mom trying to whiff and smell my yep. hair. She acted I've like literally, she literally, literally never acted. seen your mother get that <laughs> affectionate towards you. I've never seen her get so that she affectionate towards was you. Like, was like, oh yeah, my daughter landed her her whole nose right on my head <laughs> and took a deep breath. And I'm like, bitch, you're not low. Like, why are you trying to... Like, my- laid on you, too. Like, low-key laid on you. And I was like, <laughs> I've never seen Eva act this way. <laughs> and I was just like, damn, ma, all right. Like, don't make me feel guilty. I shouldn't feel guilty about this. This is something I do. So I, I suffer from some really fucking serious anxiety. Like, mm. some very, very serious anxiety. And, you know, I used to be a kid who was like, don't you drugs? Weed is going to kill us all and like had all these misconceptions because I totally bought into dare and all those programs and stuff um and then like at you know in high school it was like a fun thing and then in adulthood when I picked it back up because there was a time period where I just didn't smoke but when I picked it back up I started to become a little bit more aware about how I can use it in a more meaningful way than just to be stoned um and so that's really the relationship I've developed I've tried CBD I've yet to have a CBD product that I feel like is making any effect and I don't know why that is but I'm not sort of like I'm not giving up on CBD. I'm just like really looking to get some recommendations that are things that will help. And I don't know if it's because I smoke a lot of weed. Um, <laughs> uh, well, a few things with regards to the CBD. Um, there's a lot of noise in the CBD industry right now. Hmm. Um, you know, you can find it at the bodega. You can find it at the 7-Eleven. Right. And then you have like the higher end retail brick and mortars. Right. Um, so, yeah, you have to navigate a little bit to find the brands that actually make quality product. Um, but, you know, in an emerging market, this is what happens. You know, everybody yeah. like has their startups and then the ones that stick, stick. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you want to try CBD, it's actually potent enough. That's usually what the issue is. Mm. Um, when they started coming out with CBD products, they weren't potent enough. They were infusing it uh, similarly to what THC levels would be. So, like, mm. you know, any stoner, if they eat an edible, would probably tell you 10 to 15 to 20 milligrams is, is what will get you, get you going. 20 milligrams of CBD isn't going to do shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to multiply that by, like, 10 so wow. like 200 milligrams or something um, or else you won't feel anything that's good to know because um, I feel like I've always in my consumption of CBD have been measuring the milligrams as THC where I'm like alright yeah, and for me no. usually uh, edible wise it takes me anywhere from 20 to 30 to really like get high yeah. um, but I so I've always been weary because I'm like fuck one day I'm going to do too much CBD and it's going to hit me and I'm going to be yeah. like oh fuck you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, actually if you want to try quality CBD um, I have some friend, my friends, Steve and Wasim. Um, they run a CBD retail in New York called Comeback Daily. Ah, uh, that's on 59th Street, right? Uh, yeah, so they have one on 59th Street at the Turnstile. Uh, they have one in the East Village. Nice. And they cool. have they opened one up in Soho right off of Canal. Um, yeah, also POC owned and operated. Oh, so that's Go give them some support. Um, they have like a discovery bar so you can try all different brands of tinctures to find the one that's right for you. And they also do cool programming. Um, one of our uh, medley team members is hosting a uh, 
yoga, CBD yoga class at one of their locations wow. tomorrow night. Um, oh. And that's going to be taking place the first Thursday of every month. Okay. Lit. That's actually really lit, and I definitely would want to attend that. Though I am yeah. terrible at yoga, I am willing to <laughs> try it with CBD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about um, what were some of the misconceptions around marijuana that you both heard while you were growing up? Mm. Mm. I feel like for me, the biggest one would probably be that, and I don't know, I consider this not to be true, maybe you guys can correct me if it is true, that it's a gateway drug to like mm. literally everything else. So like, if you were going to smoke weed, then like, you were automatically going to want to do cocaine and crack and like, all that not other yet. shit. It hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of the old ones. Um, it's not, that's not something that like my parents instilled in me, but... Um, I guess one of the misconceptions was was that it was addictive. Hmm. Mm. Yep. Not really. I mean, people do become chronic smokers, but I wouldn't describe it as an addiction. Right. Um, I don't know. Most of the misconceptions now um, and the, the fear around surrounding it has everything to do with the fact that it was a criminalized commodity mm. and people had to acquire it through illicit markets. And when you're engaging with illicit markets it's not really the case anymore in new york mm -hmm. today but if you're engaging with illicit markets uh with other drugs right. um, you just have that much more of a closer proximity to the possibility of violent encounters yes um and that's what the gateway is um, hmm. and that's what the danger is and so when i started smoking weed or i'm sure kids all over america start smoking weed their parents are worried that they're gonna like start going down Right. down the trodden road or whatever. Um, that's usually the fear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, um, I don't know. I, I'm a stoner. My brother's a stoner. My brother and I are very different people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I think, at least in my mother's eyes, we've finally proven to her that um, weed doesn't make you lazy. Yeah. If yeah. you're lazy, you're lazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that was another misconception. Yeah. Um, but one cool thing that I did learn is, you know, you think of uh, that old dare commercial with the girl that yes, the couch yes. The you couch. literally once you said the lazy thing, I thought of the deflated girl. <laughs> yeah. The so what I believe that is is you have so much more um, research going on around cannabis and, and all the other cannabinoids that you can find in the plant. Um, and what they found was um, that cannabis doesn't necessarily go stale, but some of the THC molecules will change after a certain amount of time. Mm. And so what happens with the THC, if you leave it out for long enough, I'm not sure how long, weeks, months maybe, mm. um, the THC will turn into THCV, mm -hmm. I forget the molecule, that's what makes people lethargic and sleepy and, and lazy mm. and all that stuff. And so I can imagine 20, 30, 40 years ago when you had a less ro robust product productive sector for this industry, I mean, everybody had, like, two-month-old weed. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. You know? And, like, nowadays, as, as everybody can attest, this stuff is way stronger and fresher and all of those things. Yeah. Right, yeah. I also always feel bad about, like, when we're talking about, like, I guess not misconceptions, but, like, the I guess the treatment of people who were the first people to be like pot smokers. Like mm -hmm. I feel like my cousins who indulged and like were unapologetic about it were like ostracized. Yeah. And they still kind of have like, you know, just kind of like an, a certain type of attitude or approach that that is given towards them when it comes to just that type of stuff. Right, because you are that cousin. Like yeah. The, oh, don't hang out with that cousin. That's the cousin that smokes weed. You smell that shit on them. It's like it becomes this like whole, like like you have a fucking monster on your back that's mm -hmm. going to like bite them. Um, and, I, and I wonder around like what spaces exist right now that are able to do the work to educate, not just us in our generation, but the generations after us, because I think about uh, medical marijuana, for example, and I think about even my parents and they, you know, chronic arthritis, like all these different things that I can, and then, you know, read an article and hear how there's, you know, medical marijuana or something that's THC infused that can help with these things. And I'm like, 
I don't even think I could get my dad to 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 work with a CBD tincture or anything. Like I don't mm. think that I I could change their mind because the stigma is so strong. So what are do, are there any organizations or places where you know are educating sort of in that space for that generations? Or what are some ways in which you think the Latinx community could really benefit from sort of refocusing the way in which they view marijuana as a tool or a drug or whatever? Uh, I mean, it's difficult when you t talk about Latinos because they're certainly not a monolith. Um, right. And if you're talking about the effects of the war on drugs in the past, um, the U.S. had, uh, you know, they had they had their fingers in, in the whole honeypot of Latin America. Um, mm -hmm. And they had uh, mm -hmm. uh, very similar but differing results in each, each country. And I think that that trauma definitely... Um, came with our families when they came over here. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, our older family members are some of the people that can most benefit from, from what's happening in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, and I've spoken to a couple of people, a couple of brown kids who are in the industry, and they tell me that um, the way to get them on board is through CBD. Mm. Um, and, like, mm. I'm, like, so tired of hearing the word destigmatizing but it's because I'm so in it, I, I just assume that everybody's okay with it now. But yeah. it's really not the case. Um, and so CBD is not the same word as marijuana. Right. Um, uh, as you see the above-board industry maturing more, um, it's it's that aura of legitimacy in, abo in an above-board market that's right. going to make them less afraid. Yeah. Um, but then you also have, you know, the issue of, like, whether they're Afro-Latinos or if you have mixed-status families. Those are the things that yep. really scare them. Um so I think, you know, the change is, is happening piecemeal. You know, the people, there are people trying to retroactively undo the harms of the war on drugs. There are other people trying to make sure that the people that are not in jail actually have a foot into the industry that's, that's forming right now. And those are two different projects. Right. Um, I want, so our team is all QPOC. Um, Am I the only Spanish-speaking one? No, I'm not. Um, but we're not all Latinos. We're mm -hmm. like a mixed bag of, of brown New Yorkers. Um, I have been wanting to start creating content specifically for Latinos for that very same reason, because their relationship tends to be really fraught. Or it's um, a relationship that's simply about um, recreational consumption. Right. Um, which is fine, but I think that there's so much more information and utility um, that could be used out of it for people who can't afford to engage with, you know, the traditional healthcare apparatus. Absolutely, yeah. And it's so, it's it was so, I will never forget the moment. So I went to Colorado, like, the week after all the shops had opened officially and everything was going on. And I remember, and it was actually unintentional, like, the trip was for something else, but the timing was, like, just right. Um, and I remember sort of, like, walking into the shop, and, and it was a really surreal experience to see, you know, very curated, like, you know, behind the glass. It was so pretty in there, and, like, everything was so bright. And I was just like, wow, like, what... Like this is what normalization. It was such. A, it was such a shock to see it in such a like just normal. Like you know, matter of fact, is you give your ID. They're like, great, you're old enough to be in here. Awesome, come on in. Like everybody's chill. <laughs> Good. Did you spend a lot of money. I did. I did spend a lot of money. Was it that expensive? First time. It, you know, it, it it was expensive. And then the tax. I forget what the tax percentage was, but the tax percentage was high. But I do remember that. Like we. So I bought an eighth, <clears throat> and the eighth was a lot cheaper. Like before tax than in New York. So I was like lit but then after taxes it was about the same but then I wasn't mad because I was like all right well it's not like I'm paying more than I would usually pay yeah. for, but mm. it's just that the tax portion um you know it's really going to kill the price point but you know since since that moment like you know I've seen and read articles around how Colorado has been able to you know repurpose those tax dollars and really be and you'll be driving and it'll be like this highway spent sponsored by green I forget the name of the company by weed right you know and it's just like all of these like different weed companies that that are like doing shit and like in the education system, there's money that's going from the marijuana industry straight to our education system. And it's, 
like kind of like yeah man just let people fucking smoke their weed whether medical medical or recreational like like definitely let's have conversations about responsibility and stuff especially if we have like young kids like who are smoking and who might not be doing it responsibly yeah. but 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 also like then let's also not just demonize it and let's have these conversations with all of the generations because like you said I do think there's a way in which there's a missed opportunity on how we can utilize marijuana past just saying oh I love being stoned like or I want to do this high I want to do that high like it's it's more than just being high um, but we never really had a chance or a sort of like age of opportunity to really dig into those sectors um, so mm. it's exciting it's it's really exciting for me um, so le- speaking of all of this legalization so what are like you know there, we talked a little bit about Bernie Sanders talking about how he wants to legalize it in all 50 states what are some of the things that could come out of this that will be great and what are some of the things the ways in which this might affect communities who are currently operating sort of outside of a legal realm of dealing marijuana growing or being in that space yeah I mean anybody that works in a black market uh, around a commodity that is about to be legalized um, I I try to be realistic Mm. about what uh, people in power want and who they actually want to include um, a lot of people are going to be left out. Um, if you're in the black market and you're not preparing, you haven't tried to um, switch your business model from a black market model into one that can actually be an above board business. Um, it's not going to work out for mm. you. Um, if you don't know the people that are making the laws, it's probably not going to work out for you if you're expecting to get distribution licenses, things like that. Um, that said, there are people like black and brown folks that are that are doing that work and I think that they have a really good chance to be represented um, in New York in the licensing landscape once that hits mm. um, however um, the way rec has been deployed in California and Chicago um, has been a mess on other fronts and mm. that's why New York has sort of dragged their feet um, because they haven't tried to figure out like like the tax regime with the social equity stuff, with mm. the, like, the licensing stuff. It's a lot of different moving p- pieces in the, lar- in the largest marketplace in the world. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be it's gonna be like an avalanche of opportunity. Um, I, I can't say with any confidence uh, what's going to happen. Right. Again, because it's an election year. It's, it's probably so some crazy shit. It's going to probably <laughs> be some crazy shit. Um, but I imagine that Cuomo, at least in New York State, will be uh, provisioning for um, a commercial market in New York yeah. at some point this year. Probably April, I think, is when yeah. it is. But even if that happens, that doesn't mean that we're going to have dispensaries until like January 2021 or something like that. Right, right, right. Um, which is similar to what happened to, you know, when it happened in Washington and Colorado. It wasn't like the day it was ready. Everybody was like, doors open, yeah. let's go. Like yeah. it, there was, a, it was a process. Yeah. Um, but wh- what's cool now is you have like this, this liminal gray area space where not just us, but there are people in New York now really playing with, with programming right now. Yeah. Like before there's a regulatory framework, people are doing some really cool shit with yeah. consumption programming that doesn't necessarily, uh, uh, have an event geared around like the consumption of alcohol, which is like what right. most of New York does anyway. Right, right, right. And I, I, I like, I, I wonder about like even when talking about the taxes. I'm like, damn. Like I think about the dealers I know, and I'm like, damn. I hope Brody makes it. <laughs> like I hope, I hope that you know if this happens, like he'll be good. Cause like you know I buy from him. Cause I you know I'm trying to hold him down. I know yeah. his situation. Yeah. You know? Tell your boy. Start. Take another look at your margins, boo. Yeah. Like. And that, and so like, what are some of the like like key tips around like if someone's like, I I hear you, Zulai. I'm gonna get serious. So what I gotta do now? getting serious about really shaping their space in the industry? I mean, it depends what they want to do. Um, it, let's say if I I live in the South Bronx and I want to open, uh, I guess, yeah, maybe a dispensary. Or even better, I see a lot of people who do edibles via Instagram. Like, you know, and they have like these. And like, so what if, what, like, what are the licenses? You said something about distribution licenses. What are the different pieces outside of like, okay, you get a brick and mortar and like the process of that? So, yeah. I mean, that's the other fun thing where you have like, the emerging technologies of Silicon Valley being merged with like an emerging industry of cannabis, and they're both evolving at a really rapid pace. Um, yeah, you're gonna see dispensaries, you're gonna see delivery services, you're gonna see fucking 
uh, vending machines. <laughs> I was That's wondering. I was like, I was like, we're we're vending. Um, <laughs> you're probably gonna see like really curated things, kind of like cafe Amsterdam style. Yes. Um, yeah, because I think Quilla was was searching around to find. Um, places to give them consumption licenses. Mm-hmm. I imagine it'll look something like a cigar bar or something like right, that. Right, yeah. Or a hookah bar or yeah. something like that. Listen. Um, or even just maybe even licenses to hold events wouldn't even necessarily be married to a specific space. Um, then there are like other practitioners that will be allowed to work with cannabis but aren't necessarily purveyors. I think mm-hmm. that'll probably be the biggest opportunity for people here um just because opening a dispensary in new york is going to cost you millions of dollars yeah um mm. nobody small is going to be able to do that in new york it's yeah. just not yeah it's just not it um and then after that it's it's all like ancillary industries um branding graphic design marketing original content things right. like that right that'll um, it's it's the cultural aspect part yeah where there there will be the huge the biggest opportunity i think um yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so dope. And like I, I do think like it, it's speaking to sort of like the branding of it. What I do love about the way people can sort of own their niches around the marijuana space is like, yeah, there's like like there's an IG account that I follow that's like for for women who smoke, right? Is what it's mm. called, right? And so like even just yeah, like even just sometimes seeing a picture of a dope ass chick like smoking a joint, like <laughs> there's something about it because it like I said, at least in my experience, it was so it still is so demonized that, you know, it, it makes it makes it sort of like taboo in a way but also like I I want to sort of be able to prove as you said like yo I can still be the incredible successful person I am and do this in fact like whoever listens to this probably a lot of people who are going to find out for the first time that I even smoke weed right now really? like you know what I mean mm. yeah and this is something that I felt like I couldn't talk about ever like ever ever and and worrying about like losing jobs and stuff like that and it is just such an unnecessary thing this is what keeps me sane you like Julissa you like functional productive creative Julissa I need to smoke a joint every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, people get surprised when they find out that stoners are productive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love, I think one of my favorite things is when you're in like a room of people, you're introducing yourself to a new group and you don't know yet, but you always find the stoner. And yeah. I don't know what that magic is, but there's always a moment where like, I feel like there's an energy where you're both sort of like dancing around each other. It's like your spirits are like, pot buddy, pot buddy. Oh, yeah. And you're like around and then you have that first like L with them or however the fuck you smoke. And it's just such a like bonding moment. And I think that the culture around, you know, potheads, like it is stigmatized. There's a lot of stereotypes, but at the core of it, I think are just really chill people who just want to just like chill. Like it, that's all it is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as a brown queer, I'm way into weed bonding more than trauma bonding. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Zulai. So any shout outs and where can we find you online? Oh, um, well, you can find us on Instagram at medley.ny. That's uh, M-E-D-L-Y dot N-Y. Who do I want to shout out? Oh, my goodness. Your team? Uh, yeah, shout out to <laughs> my team. Um, I want to shout out um, Danielle, who runs Highlights. Nice. Um, Natasha, who runs Pussy Weed, another really Ooh. good um, cannabis-related Pussy lifestyle weed. brand. Uh, um I feel like I'm winning an award. I should have prepared the notes. But yeah, no, follow us on Instagram. We're always trying to amplify the people that we work with. So yes. if you really want to get uh, the info on the cannabis scene in New York, just follow our page for sure. And that's M-E-D-L-Y dot N-Y. Yeah. And Skittles, where can they find us? And you can find us at <laughs> Ladies Who Brunche on Instagram, at Ladies Brunche on Twitter. And on all your favorite podcast streaming platforms. All right. And thank you so much for tuning in this episode. Until next time, guys. Bronche. Bronche. Bronche, bronche. That's how we say brunch. Here's to the ladies who say music with their lunch. You want that bochinche? Ladies who brush the pop and Hey, we pop.